There's been a lot of talk over the last several months about how best to protect people from coronavirus and also protect the economy. And economist Quentin Grafton from Australian National University has been crunching the numbers. Back in September, he combined epidemiological models of how the virus spreads with models of the Australian economy and found results that lockdown sceptics might consider surprising, as he told me, Eva Higginbotham, recently. Well, what we found in the case of the Australian economy and the Australian uh, situation was that uh, it was much, much better, like multiple times better to go early and to go hard. And there are particular aspects to Australia, which let's say differ to the United Kingdom. So although the UK is, a, is an island, just like Australia is, the Australian government early on decided to put in border controls. So in other words, when people were coming into Australia, certainly by mid-March, they had to go into some sort of self-isolation and ultimately two-week quarantine. So in other words, if you bring the number of cases down in Australia, you're not going to get reinfection coming in every day, you know, from thousands of people arriving from, from other countries where there's high rates of infection. So we're able to do that and do that pretty successfully in Australia, which is a contrast to the United Kingdom. So what's the payoff of that? Well, the payoff is if you bring your number of cases down very low, which we have done in Australia, and we've now had two outbreaks in Australia, not just one, then you have a reasonable chance, a pretty good chance of elimination. Elimination means simply that the virus is not being transmitted in the community. And that's a huge payoff. It's an enormous payoff. So parts of Australia, Australia is a big country, but parts of Australia, Western Australia, for example, doesn't have had any infections, at least in the community now for months. People are basically doing whatever they would do. They would go to restaurants, cafes, footy, all that sort of stuff. So, uh, But they maintained, uh, of course, a border control. That's life pretty much as, as you could imagine it in terms of pre-COVID. And uh, that is the payoff of uh, these sorts of go early, go hard measures. So we found that in our model that we got very substantial payoffs associated with that. And it's not just the model, that's actually the data tells us that in the context of Australia. And of course, our neighbour across the Tasman Sea is New Zealand, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and they've done it twice. They've had community elimination twice. They've also had strict border controls. And again, New Zealand is back to very low levels of control. And there are big payoffs in terms of hospitality, in terms of all sorts of things with the economy. So certainly that's the way to go. Now, the UK is a, is a different case. So the UK did not under implement proper border controls. It doesn't have proper contact tracing. If it, even if it did, it would be completely overwhelmed. So the UK's options are now much more limited than, let's say, Australia and New Zealand's options were back uh, in March or even, even today in October 2020. So Quentin's evidence suggests that go early, go hard when controlling the virus seems to be the best strategy for the economy overall. But what about the economy during lockdowns or other restrictions? In terms of financial support for lockdowns, you have to keep in mind a couple of things. First of all, a lockdown of two weeks or even four weeks or possibly even six weeks is not going to be sufficient, certainly when you have larger numbers of people who have uh, the virus. 
So you're talking about up to eight weeks and possibly longer. So when you're talking about a period of eight weeks, two months or something like that, there's no way that this is going to work in a democracy unless you have people who are being looked after. So in other words, they're staying at home or they're not being able to work simply because there is a lockdown. So you have to make sure that they're well catered for, that there's a welfare system in play, that they can bring enough food on the table, that they can pay their mortgage and they can pay their rent or whatever it is so they can cover off their basic expenses and more than that. If you don't do that, then a lockdown is not going to work. Uh, so we're seeing that in the United States at this very moment. There have been semi-type of lockdowns in different parts of the United States, a huge pushback by a whole bunch of people, uh, typically people who are low income and in vulnerable jobs, simply because in a lockdown, they're not getting, they're not getting payments <laughs> or any reasonable payments. So it's, it just doesn't work. So you, you have to make sure that everyone's looked after, not only in terms of that's the right thing to do, it's justice and equity, but it's also the right thing to do in terms of actually getting the outcome you want, which is much, much lower levels of infection. I would make an assertion here I don't have the evidence in terms of a modern context, but look at Sweden. Sweden had much, much higher numbers. It focused on advisories and voluntary social distancing, and it's been much less successful in a public health sense and no better in terms of its economy, but it's done surprisingly well, at least in the summer months. And why? I suspect it went well because it has a a very well-developed welfare system. So if someone gets sick or feel like they're unwell or whatever, they can stay home and they know they're going to get enough money to be able to to survive. Contrast to the United States, if you are sick, if you try and get tested, if you wait an hour, a few hours in the queue, whatever it is, no one's really going to help you, at least if you are a vulnerable worker. So that, I think, is critical. The question is, is how much does this cost? Well, of course, it, it does cost. The problem that people have done here is that they fail to understand, yes, it costs a lot, but what is the cost of not doing that? So the cost of not doing that is you end up with a 90% economy. So 10% of the economy essentially disappears when you have rapid uh, infection rates like the United Kingdom is happening right now. I mean, it is having a devastating impact on the economy. So if you have a system that actually looks after the poor and the vulnerable so they can stay at home, then you don't have a 90% economy, you might have a 95% economy. And 5% of the economy is an enormous amount. It's certainly more than enough to cover payments to poor and vulnerable workers. You don't need to be making payments to people who've got adequate sick leave, for example. But certainly those people who are in the gig economy, those sorts of people, they need to be helped. If you don't help them, they get infected. And if they get infected, then they pass it on to others. And then you have the, this major problem. So it, to me, it's a no-brainer. You need to make sure that the economy is such that the poor get helped. And by helping the poor, you help the economy. It's, uh, it's, it's just as easy as that.